Today's TribCast is presented by the Texas Association of Freestanding Emergency Centers. TAFEC raises statewide awareness of freestanding emergency centers as a high-quality, accessible emergency medical care option. Learn more at TribTalk.org. Also, Texas Capital Bank. Succession planning. What's your exit strategy? Read more on TribTalk.org. Texas Talking what was that that you said? Texas talking, I'm gonna hoop upside your head. Texas talking, tell me who can you trust when Texas guys are in Texas Hello, this is Erica Greeter, a Metro columnist for the Houston Chronicle. It's a beautiful day here in Texas, perfect weather for explaining why NAFTA is so important to our state, defending the First Amendment, or listening to TripCast, all of which are things I would certainly encourage our state leaders to do. Now, here's your host, Patrick Svitek. Thank you. This is Patrick Svitek here at the TribCast for the 18th of October. I'm filling in for Emily Ramshaw, and I'm joined by Tribune CEO Evan Smith. Hello. Executive Editor Ross Ramsey. Howdy. And Political Editor Aman Bathija. Hello. All right. Before we be- <laughs> oh, boy. Wow. So far, so good. Yeah. Really like exciting. The quickest greetings I think we've, well, we've you, ever done. Well, it's all energy right now. It's so you were great. supposed to go off on some long tangents. No, I, I <laughs> saved my long tangents for Emily. <laughs> if you are uh, following us on, on Facebook, just a reminder that you can weigh in with questions anytime, and we'll try our best to answer them. Um, so for, am I here? <laughs> so for our first topic, let's let's start off with what happened actually just the day after our last TribCast last uh, Thursday, which is at the Texas House Speaker, Joe Strong. Strauss announced the formation of uh, the Select Committee on Economic uh, Competitiveness. He said the committee is going to look at uh, factors that draw businesses to Texas, and he gave he said he wants them to work quickly and aggressively. He gave them a, a timeline of, of reporting their findings by December 12th. And um, before he discusses, I just want to read one quote that he had at, in his speech where he announced the committee. He said, it's time that we reassert that Texas is fully committed to private sector growth. There should be no ambiguity that the Texas House will focus on the big and consequential instead of the petty and polarizing. So given all that, how much does this have to do with the, the recent bathroom bill? Fund? Yeah, really, why is it just not <laughs> on called a scale the, of 100 to 100? The, committee the Select on, Committee uh, on Bladder <laughs> Control, right? Or the Select Committee on 2018 Republican Primary. I mean, come on. You know, look, I understand why this is called what it's called, and I suspect that they will address a variety of issues, not only the bathroom bill, but how do you sometimes even a toilet is just a toilet. Well, and the dates on this are interesting. You know, this report is due on the day after... The filing is right. over. So yeah. December 11th is the last day you can file for office. The report's due on December 12th. We have the holidays, and then we start the elections. I, you know, I, which which okay. So it's so hard to read it as so, not so, an election. So thing. put that in, put th- that on the front end, and then what comes out the back end? So therefore, what? Well, so the bathroom bill, you know, I mean, is pretty obviously one of the things that people are going to be talking about as an us-them issue in Republican primaries in particular in 2018. I was for this. That one was against it. You know, that's going to be a standard thing from candidates. And this is, you know, from the chairman, Byron Cook, on down, a defensive committee in a lot of ways. I mean, you get to recast this issue or attempt to recast this issue as something other than a morals issue and more of an economic issue as a business issue yeah. and maybe position yourself to go into a primary. Yeah. And the composition of the committee would reflect the view of the speaker as opposed to the yeah, view of those who support filled the with bill. Strauss allies. The chairman right. is Byron Cook, the uh, chairman of the, the State Affairs Committee, where the bathroom bill repeatedly right. died during the regular and I guess also special session. I think also this gives candidate or incumbents uh, cover in primaries um, candidates who, who may be attacked for not have, 
not having supported the bathroom bill, they can, you know, in January they get attacked for this. They can say, well, look, this this House committee just came out with a report saying that, you know, we avoided a big costly mistake. So, you know, I'm right. So I think it could really. Amazon actually helps this as much as anything right. does. Yeah. You know, it, all the states are in the hunt for Amazon at some level or another. Everybody but San Antonio wants Amazon to come build their second headquarters there. And Amazon was one of the signers on the letters that said, you're messing with um, your economic development capabilities. This is a way to put a state seal on that and run into the primaries. And Byron it. Cook, the aforementioned Byron Cook, was the right. one who wrote a, uh, an opinion piece, I believe, a few weeks ago prior to right. the formation yeah, of the Yeah, he kind of telegraphed the, uh, the formation of the In which he said specifically, yeah. Amazon's not coming to Texas, and the reason is that the bathroom bill as a looming threat is going to keep Amazon from coming here. Well, interestingly, Moody's, the credit rating firm, did an analysis around the country of all the cities that might get Amazon, and they said Austin has the best chance in the country. And they didn't mention the bathroom bill in their analysis. They just said everything Amazon says they want, Austin is the best fit except for transportation. This is like a side dish. You know, everybody's weighing in. You know, somebody picked Denver for the best. Somebody wanted Pittsburgh. Somebody else wanted uh, but Dallas. Austin's been like Austin's near been the, the top, top like uh, right. on almost every list. It's been either right. the top or near in so, the top so five. So come, come back to this committee. What does it say about Strauss and Strauss's own plans for himself and for the House? Well, I think since the end of the special session, even end of the regular session, you've really seen him embrace or lean into this role of being the voice of business in the state. Right. Not that he didn't represent them before in some ways, but he's really kind of embraced. He's running with the flag. Yeah. Well, now he's outspoken. Held he used right. to be, yeah. you know, he used to be, you know, pretty passive about these things, and you know, now he's out in front. He's, you know. Yeah, right. leading the parade, and he's trying to recruit them. If you look at these chamber speeches he's been giving since the end of the special session, he's trying to recruit them to be active on not just issues of economic, or you know, not just the bathroom issue, for example, but also education and, and infrastructure. He's trying to build a coalition. They have a, a political problem to solve, and that is that the other side, you know, may or may not be smaller, but it's much more active. And and Strauss needs to get the businesses and the business groups that finally backed him toward the end of the special session and toward the end of the regular session to stay in the game through the primaries or they're going to get clobbered. It's going to be a low turnout election because there's not any statewide races that draw people out. Low turnout elections tend to draw Democratic and Republican purists. And, you know, the purists are with Dan Patrick and the bathroom regulators on this issue, and, and Strauss needs to get his side up. And yeah. it puts some of the Strauss allies who are in contested primaries at risk if, right. as you say, the math works in favor of those on the edges who would tend to support those people who yeah. oppose Strauss. What, what, what I'm a little curious about is how this committee's findings and ultimate work goes over with the governor and the lieutenant governor. Um, if this committee comes out with a report that is similar to the report that the Texas Association of Business put out a year ago, I, I wonder how that will be received by the governor and lieutenant governor of not, uh, you know, placed a lot of credibility in some of these other I don't know if anybody wants to out. stick a number on this anymore. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> well, but I, 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 University I, come back, yeah. I come back to the question of where the governor actually stands on this issue. I understand that the governor was more transparent toward the end of the session than right. he was toward the beginning of the session about his perspective on this issue. But I heard again from a wealthy individual in the state not long ago who was a supporter right. of the governor's and a financial supporter of the governor's specifically this individual claimed to have been told by the governor during the legislative session, uh, don't worry about the bathroom bill. Joe's going to kill it. This is the same governor who, once the bathroom bill did not pass the House, the same governor who complained about the fact that the bathroom bill did not pass the House. Right. And who, at the end <clears throat> of the regular session or the special, it was the special session, specifically right. called out the speaker by name right. for having thwarted priorities that were on the governor's agenda uh, of items 
on the call. Right. The governor can clarify his position anytime as far as whether he believes this well, issue should live another live to see another day because that's really yeah. the point here. Whatever happened previously is in the rearview mirror. We've talked about this though. But he he wins both ways. He wins with the voters saying I was for the bathroom bill. He wins with with business business by saying we don't have a bathroom regulation or, or by saying don't worry the thing is never going to pass. Right. Strauss took a lot of incoming fire for, you know, a lot of members of the house and for the governor. And you know, for a couple of senators. And what did he but, get? But, and what did he get for it? He well, got, he got to eat shit. Well, it. what Strauss gets actually is actually he's now in front of something instead of you know, as I said a minute ago. I mean, he's been a relatively passive political voice. He's been you know strong and and forceful and all of that, but very quietly and behind the scenes. Now he's out front. Now does, he's yeah. now does he's the, the leader of one of the factions of the Republican Party. Does the governor's sp- prediction, Ross, predict this, please? Does the governor speak out in favor of this bill or suggest it as an item for the agenda of the 86th session between now and the, and the gaveling in in January of 2019? Does the governor say something about this legislation? We know the lieutenant governor. I, I, you know, I would I'd condition. I, I think so. I can I would condition it on how the primaries go. Does it come if up this as is an a strong thing in the, governor, sure. yeah. the governor's race? If it's a strong thing in the primaries and a bunch of people come out yeah. breathing fire about it, they're going to go into the 2019 session breathing fire about it. Assuming there is a Democratic candidate, can you imagine they wouldn't bring up the bathroom bill? At all well, next year? If one were a Democratic candidate for governor, one would certainly make that a rallying cry for Democrats. All to... the Democratic candidates for governor are hiding under their beds right now. <laughs> but <laughs> it's, like, yeah. it's like the trailer for Stranger Things too, right? Uh, <laughs> ironically enough, this is no, you things, know, like in yeah. terms of the the post special session bathroom discussion, the the one the one leader of the big three who's actually kept it going and kept it alive is Strauss. Is Strauss <laughs> not from a not from a supportive posture, the, obviously, but from an oppositional right. posture? Right. Dan Patrick, I mean, he hasn't you know he hasn't been doing a lot of uh, political appearances, but he hasn't been and, talking about you know, it, and he spoke for months about how this was it. a public safety emergency, and since it's died, it's just yeah. nothing. Can I ask, since we're talking about Strauss for a second, uh, Phil King has been active. Uh, in his challenge of the speaker or his announced challenge, presumed challenge of the speaker, and in fact, over the last couple of days, talked a bit about how he would run the House and how he would populate committees and the procedure for bringing up bills. Ross, is your perspective, as you listen to people in the community here or elsewhere, that Phil King is getting any traction with his message? Not yet, but I would also say it's you know not the time when you would expect him to get traction. There's still a number of people, in spite of what Strauss has said, who are walking around saying, "I'm not sure he's going to run again." I, you know, he said, "I'm going to run again for office. I'm going to run again for speaker." There's no reason for me to serve in the House unless I'm speaker. Um, I mean, that was sort of the big three thing takeaways from your trip fest conversation with him. Yeah. You know, so he's been clear about it, but a lot of people are talking about it. If it's if Strauss was out of the race, there would be like an Oklahoma land rush for this thing. There'd be 10 or 12 candidates at the beginning and we'd see all kinds of stuff. You know, um, is Phil King a real candidate? Is he a stalking horse? You know, we just don't know the answer to that. Yet. And we're no clearer on that today than we were three weeks ago when he announced his candidates. Right. I don't think so. One, one quick question on this topic before we move on. Uh, Davis asks, what are Stra- what's Strauss's potential gain from his current stance becoming more visible? I'm at this person's, I think, is asking, you know, what is the political benefit to I Strauss? I think the political benefit is exactly what Ross said. Typically, these elections in March are low turnout, and the low turnout benefits the non-Strauss end of the conversation. If Strauss is able to uh, to yell fire— Build an army. Right. All right. I like how you said it better. Yeah. Then that potentially counteracts those who would turn out in a low turnout primary. 
And so maybe Wayne Faircloth survives the challenge from Mays Middleton. Maybe Byron Cook, if he does in fact run, I know that there was some question that you raised this week. Cook did not say. Yeah, he said he's still conclusively that he's him. going to run again. He's but so coy. Maybe maybe <laughs> Cook is able to hold off a challenge sure. or hold one off more easily yeah. Yeah. from Young McNutt. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I just love that, don't you? There's never, there's never, there's never a moment when that race comes yeah. up when I don't love yeah, talking yeah, yeah, about yeah. Cook's opponent. Yeah. Um, but no, seriously, I mean, I think that's one of the things that happens is if the same people who are activated during the special session to oppose some of the yeah. stuff that Strauss wanted them to oppose were to turn out in force during a primary, then you'd have a bit of an even up in terms of turnout, and that would poten- yeah. right? that would potentially yeah. push that would potentially sure. push everybody back. Right. Absolutely, so, yeah. yeah. Mentioned the 2018 primaries and elections at the state level. We had some headlines over the weekend at the at the federal level. Um, congressional candidates and yep. incumbents had until Sunday to report their third quarter campaign finances. The FEC uh, saw quite a few interesting findings. You know, big picture. You know, in the second quarter, we had four Texas Republican congressmen who were outraised by Democratic challengers. This time around, just two of them. Uh, but I think there's still some signs of, of real Democratic enthusiasm out there. I mean, should should some of these Texas Republicans who are in competitive money races continue to be worried? I mean, is this a real threat at this point? What I keep wondering is Trump want, became president without running a single TV ad, right? Or maybe one? Yeah, he spent more money on – that was my favorite stat from that campaign. He spent more money on red hats on than he hats. did on advertising. I guess I'm just wondering, does money really translate to much I think next it, year? I think it does in a congressional that race. And if I was an incumbent, I would take any kind of money yeah. raising on the other side as a real threat. I mean, everything's a little bit destabilized right now. You know, people are uh, ticked off at right. incumbents at Washington – and if I was watching, you know, a bunch of firepower assemble on the other side, I'd, you know. Yeah. So, let's, so let's be specific about what you're referring to. So in two districts, John Culberson's district, which was one of those on the Democrats' target list because Hillary Clinton Houston won Republican. it. Right. Yeah. Wallace is Congressional District 7, right. which Hillary Clinton won during the 2016 race while Culberson was reelected as a Republican. Uh, he was outraised by two of his uh, Democratic opponents. Right. Again, yeah, for Again. a second straight quarter, the same two. But people. in one of the districts that the Republican won comfortably and Trump won, Lamar Smith's district, Congressional District 21, for the second consecutive quarter, um, one of his Democratic opponents, Joseph Kopser, who is a veteran and a tech guy, uh, and he's one of a handful of people running in that race against uh, uh, Smith, outraised Smith. Right. So this is the second consecutive quarter that a Democrat in a race that was on no one's radar screen has now outraised the incumbent yeah. Republican, who is not just any incumbent Republican, but is a chairman right. and is a veteran and is a known player. And this is an Austin guy. The district extends up to Austin, but only barely outraising yeah. a San Antonio guy. Right. I mean, it's a very interesting uh, dynamic. Yeah. You have six, a total of six Democrats who have announced for Congress who all raised more than $200,000 in the third quarter, right, which is significant. And you had a ton of, um, you had a ton of interesting uh, almost outraiseds. In particular, Todd Litton, the Democrat, almost outraised Ted Poe, the Republican. Right. And he did, you said, last time, right, in, in he quarter, did last time. In quarter yeah, two. by a little bit. And M.J. Hager, the decorated military veteran, who's a Democrat who's announced against John Carter, almost outraised John Carter in Congressional District 31, which, again, neither the Poe nor the Carter districts were on anybody's radar screen. None of this matters, to Amon's point. Money may not be conclusive, but if you're a Democrat and you're looking at those races and you're looking at the fundraising as an indication of enthusiasm, you can't take away anything from these numbers except 
something positive. You know, some of these are lightning strike races. They're the kinds of things, you know, when the Republicans ran the, the Tea Party election in 2010, they elected a bunch of people they frankly didn't expect to elect. It was a big sweep yeah. year for them. Yeah. A lot of these people are filing on the um, betting on the unpopularity of the president a year from now. And they're going to run against Trump. They're, well, they're betting Trump's going to be the issue in the midterms, as presidents often are, and that it's going to accrue to the benefit of Democrats. And, you know, if you're the Democrat in the race, you're the beneficiary. The one, the one yeah. left standing. Right. I, I think it's especially hard to dismiss what's going on in the 7th District, where, where John Culberson is, because, um, you know, skeptics of the Democratic momentum there would say, oh, it's just one quarter, and you have to stop them and say, actually, it's two people, and it's two straight quarters. And they'll say, oh, Culberson and by is the way, more Laura, And Laura Moser, the third, of, right, a yeah, third came, candidate, yeah, yeah. came very close to, to yeah, beating yeah. Culberson herself. Yeah. And so then skeptics right. say, well, well, Culberson has more cash on hand. Actually, he doesn't. Both those <laughs> both those Democratic challengers <laughs> right. have right. more cash on hand and a healthy advantage in, in cash on hand, money to spend going into the next quarter. So I think that's particularly troubling for, for well, Culberson. The other, the other thing there, though, you know, if you were being skeptical about this is, you know, people like to, Democrats like to say that Hillary Clinton won this district, Culberson's in trouble. Culberson won the district while Hillary Clinton was winning it. He outperformed Trump. He's right, already yeah. shown yeah, he the, can— the, he, se the sequence is the reverse right, sequence. Right, right. So, you know, Culberson's already shown yeah. and Sessions has already shown. Yep. That, and Hurd has already well, shown. Well, and, 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 and one, one, one difference too. between Sessions and Culberson, and by the way, Hurd also, is both Hurd and Sessions raised more than $400,000 in the third quarter, and Culberson raised less than half. Of what those guys raised, right. and I, I caught up with him on Saturday night in Houston, with and he, he, yeah, with Culberson, he attributed to Harvey basically dampening. Um, well, Harvey didn't dampen the Democrats, <laughs> exactly. So it's kind of did hard the storm work. only hit Republican right. donors? <laughs> what ground. kind of bullshit is that? <laughs> well, closer but, to Buffalo. By I, want, I want to make another observation about both about the herd and the interestingly enough, I think about the herd and the Sessions races. Yeah. So you have a lot of people running against herd and a lot of people running against Sessions. This quarter was something of a big sort as it related to yeah. mm. the challengers to Hurd and Sessions. Ed Meyer, who is the former Clinton State Department uh, official, um, who is one of the Democrats running in that race, far outraised the other Democratic opponents. Uh, Lillian Salerno, is that her yeah. name? Yeah, yeah. Who was a second and a less often mentioned candidate in that Democratic yeah. candidate actually raised like 130. She raised a pretty good amount of yeah, money. She's the newest Democratic. But she raised a pretty race, good amount of yeah. money. But Colin Allred, who yeah. has been touted as a very competitive candidate in that race, he raised about a quarter of what Ed Meyer raised and his cash on hand has dwindled. Right. Um, so Meyer is kind of rising from the pile. Yeah. And in the in the herd race, Jay Hewlings, who is a former U.S. attorney, is that right? Assistant. Assistant U.S. attorney. Uh, raised more than $200,000. He was one of the six Democrats in the state who raised right. more than $200,000. In the, he just barely got over $200,000 yeah. in the last quarter. Um, Gina Ortiz-Jones raised more than 100000 but basically yeah. Hewlings kind of rose from the past. I mean, I think it's interesting. Yeah. We'll see how this persists. And he did that, persists. I think, uh, a little over a, a month, right. too. So you have yeah. this situation where, although there's, there's a very crowded races, there are seven, eight, nine people filed yeah. in each of those yeah. races, you s are starting to see the sorting hat effect. Yeah. I think we'll see some of these people on file. I think you'll, you're going to see these reports for a while when they actually get to the point where right. they're putting their names on the ballot in Texas between November 11th and December 11th. I think you'll see some of these go, ah, it doesn't look so great. I'm going to well, go Well, because quite honestly, I went out in the market and said I was going to run and right. hoped that fundraising would backfill my trial balloon and crashed. Yeah. Trial right. balloon lost air. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. And frankly, November 11th is just going to be a big day. If, if you're in a crowded primary and everyone else who's fundraising well signs up and you don't, just going to everyone's going to assume that you're you're hesitating right 
Right. Quick, quick political question before we move on to the next topic. Uh, Henry wants to know, uh, this is going back to what we talked about with the governor earlier, if the Democrats don't field a serious candidate for governor, how will the, uh, Abbott spend his campaign money next year? He threatened, and there's been a lot of speculation about him spending it down ballot. You know, this this goes back to the very first thing we were talking right. about with Joe Young Strauss. McNutt. Does right. he throw money into <laughs> the races of people who are not on the speaker's side in the House, people who yeah. are on the lieutenant governor's side yeah. in the Senate? Does he try to bolster yeah. the legislature? Well, and there's a second question, which is if there's no Democratic candidate for governor and if there are no serious Democratic candidates up and down the ballot, right. if they just basically put warm bodies into those races, non-serious candidates. Does that hurt the Democrats running in Congress, for uh, running for congressional seats? Does it hurt Beto O'Rourke? Because, you know, a, a low level of Democratic enthusiasm and a lower level of turnout, in part occasioned by bupkis on the ballot, yeah. on the statewide stuff, you're having to do a lot more work. You're, you're having to pedal harder if you're in those other races. I was talking to a Democrat about this, and they made the argument that all of us who are speculating about what happens if there's no good, you know, credible candidate for governor from Democrats are underestimating the overwhelming hatred of Ted Cruz by Democrats and that Beto could really be just considered. Well, you know what? You I know think what? there's actually a little piece to this that, that, that's kind of interesting. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. About I mean, that I, th th I think I think that I is think, I think, like wishful thinking times 100. Well, I, I mean, isn't too, that technically but, the top of the ballot? I do think yeah. if he's the only race that. O'Rourke is going to get a lot more attention as the only Democrat running in 2018. And so anybody who was going to give money, anybody who was going to give money to the state races, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know about that. You might know, turn their attention o to O'Rourke. Seems to I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about you know, voter enthusiasm. I'm I'm curious to watch mm -hmm. out of out of state money on the O'Rourke Cruz race. Cruz is a national candidate. Basically, he ran for president. Um, they're both going to gonna raise. They're both going to raise detriment. money out of state, right? Well, I'm curious to see how much. Well, Beto yeah, has a matter of how they spin it. Beto <laughs> has said he wants most of his money from Texas. He's right. even though he went to Silicon Valley for. So a is he going to turn down money that comes from out of state? No, he went to. Yeah, he he turned down the packs. He's he, not going to turn down anything. He had more. a fundraiser in Silicon Valley. Just um, he said he really. I think it was in the Star Telegram the other day. Yeah. He said he really wants most of his money to come from Texas. He's going to really push, aim for that. Um, what's funny is if he is kind of um, Cruz's people push him on, you know, make it about this is out of state money. That's what Dewhurst's campaign was against Cruz in 2012. All the money was. Hey, from you out argue of state. your position. It doesn't matter what your position <laughs> is. So do, do, does the fact that Cruz now has playing, right? so Cruz now has um, a couple of guppies, uh, and they're guppies at the moment, and presumably they remain guppies, uh, uh, nibbling at his. I remember when Cruz was a guppy. Right. His, <laughs> right. So I do, we'll, yeah. we'll, we will look back on this day when we said Stefano yeah, yeah. Di Stefano is only yeah, yeah. at two percent. He can't yeah, win. Yeah. <laughs> right. No. But the point is, you got you've got this uh, Houston energy attorney Stefano Di Stefano. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You've got the thirty-seven day mayor of Corpus Christi, which sounds like a terrible novel title. Damn McQueen's uh, name. Right. Yeah. Uh, and you've got uh, Bruce Jacobson, who is the very conservative broadca broadcaster? Is he a broadcaster? He's a, no, he's an executive uh, producer of executive uh, producer. Yeah, Christian, television. Christian, Christian television. Christian television. Yeah. So you've got these three potential right. just nuisance candidates for Ted Cruz. I just wonder if they have any impact at all on the conversation between now and primary day. Anybody who has the ability to make their name well-known enough that people go into the voting booth and say, even if it's just a referendum on Ted Cruz. I like Ted Cruz. I don't like Ted Cruz. If they know the other name, that's yeah. going to, you know, yeah. depends on, you know, how, how Cruz's campaign smells at that moment when they go in and vote. 
uh, want to move on, but quick quick question, <laughs> still on, on okay. statewide candidates. <laughs> All right, Speedy. Um, I'd like to move on. Yeah, okay. we got one I just want to say Stefano Di Stefano a few more <laughs> yeah, times exactly. between now and the end of the podcast. Yeah. Tony is asking us to talk about Mike Collier, who we should mention. He's a Democratic candidate. Tony McDonald? Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's a I Democratic candidate for lieutenant governor, right. unsuccessfully ran for comptroller as a Democrat in 2014. And, and what was the name of his book, Ross? Oh. Out of control. Oh, out of control. Come on. <laughs> it's a dad joke. It's great. It's fantastic. Yeah. Not, not quite the 37-day mayor of Corpus Christi, but pretty good, though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Collier's been campaigning for several months and, you know, obviously an uphill battle. Something that, I, that caught my attention the other day was that he wrote an op-ed in the Corpus Christi Caller Times trying to call out Dan Patrick on a disaster reappraisal legislation. And Dan Patrick actually responded yesterday. It was the first time I saw Dan Patrick actually acknowledge criticism from I think well, the, he ref, I he think ref, the lesson he, he referred refer to, to him by name. He referred to him as Democrat <laughs> opinion yeah, piece. Yeah. Which actually yeah, is pretty yeah. good, it's a pretty good ballot name, isn't it? I think, like, I think the, the, the legend of David in some of these races. Yeah, but they'll still get 43%. The big political right. lesson of David Dewhurst is do not ignore pips. Right, yeah. You know? Um, and I think everybody's going to answer. Cruz answers O'Rourke. Patrick answers Collier. These guys aren't well, going to let somebody barely, just... Cruz has barely acknowledged O'Rourke. Well, yeah. but I'm, I'm just saying they're not going to let these things, you know, they, they're not going to treat them as, you know, pests that they don't need to pay any attention to. Well, what you end up doing is you end up elevating somebody who is not your political equal to a stage roughly equivalent to the one you're on if you do that, though. Right. Right. And if you don't, you end up This is, again, this is the Al Franken line from his book. You don't play tennis, you play golf. Yeah. You know, you don't play against somebody because you just fail to acknowledge that you even have an opponent. You just basically play your game, which I think is an interesting strategy. Okay. Our final topic. Uh, <laughs> another headline that kicked off this week was we had the first state Senate committee hearing on the Hurricane Harvey uh, recovery effort. Um, it was uh, held in New Caney. It was a small town north of Houston. I didn't know about Kia Collier. Our reporter was there. You're from where? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> nice job, Fort Wayne. <laughs> um, but Ahmad, what, what exactly was discussed at the hearing? And was there any consensus that, that emerged it, right? from it? Yeah, exactly. Well, Kia Collier there was for, I believe, all seven hours of that hearing. Uh, and uh, the there was a lot of talk of, you know, how do we stop future flooding? How do we address the problems that happened to Harvey? How do we keep that from happening again? There was all these expensive ideas talked about, new reservoirs, expanding reservoirs, uh, capturing flood water and storing it underground. But the main theme was the federal government is going to pay for whatever we do. And there was this quote from— There's a lot of that going around nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> and Dan Patrick uh, delivered opening remarks at the committee hearing, which is he doesn't do that very often. Right. Um, so he did it at this one, and he mentioned that the federal government had failed to fund many of the projects now under discussion, and he said now is the time for Congress to, quote, step up. Uh, so it, Which it, is an echo of what Abbott said earlier. Complaining about the House yeah. right. view of uh, disaster relief, yeah. at least initially. Yeah, I mean, this discussion Cornyn, is, by the way, backfilled yeah. Abbott in yeah. the last couple of days, too. Has gotten more heat at the, right. the federal level. What, what happened, I think this was late last week, right? Right. Last week, uh, the House had a disaster aid bill that included uh, money for FEMA and uh, for the flood insurance program, but nothing, or not very much directly for Texas. It was and Texas versus Puerto Rico, wasn't it, kind of in, Texas, internally in that bill? It was actually Texas and Florida versus Puerto Rico, because Florida delegation was also not pleased with the bill. But um, Abbott surprised many by publicly telling the Houston Chronicle that he was very upset with the bill the day before the vote and that uh, the delegation should not support it and that they should get a stiff spine and oppose it and fight for Texas. Back to whoever asked, what does he do with the $41 million <laughs> if, you know? Yeah, he's going to well, primary some congressmen. <laughs> primary <laughs> Joe Barton. Yes. Right. Well, right. And, and there were members of the delegation who, kind, who agreed with Abbott, but 
there were others that were felt kind of blindsided and thought, well, why haven't you been saying this for days or weeks? Why are you saying this 24 hours before when the bill is up and we haven't even been able to prepare for voting against you know, in Puerto past, Rico? In past disasters, the, the state part of the tab has been relatively small. You know, mm-hmm. I think um, somebody had an... Um, Ike, it was $312 million for the state and $35 billion for the feds. You know, ultimately, that probably shakes out. But right now, in the first 90 days, everybody's like, make well, sure I'm the, in the front the, of the line. And the, you've the, got Texas, Florida, Puerto Rico, now Napa, all in line for federal disaster aid. Right. There are two issues here. One is the 90-10 split that has been agreed to, federal government taking on 90% of responsibility, is only as good as the money that actually shows up. And right. as I found yesterday in talking to mayors of four communities on the Gulf Down Coast Victoria, right? and Victoria, kind of on the part of the non-Houston and non-Harris County affected areas of the hurricane, their biggest concern and their biggest complaint is FEMA and the federal government either making it difficult to access dollars or the money not coming or not coming quickly enough. They're skeptical, and I think they reflect a perspective that is not just their own but is widely held. They're skeptical about the promises being made um, uh, about the federal government coming uh, across with the money, and I think that's a significant uh, uh, issue. And will continue to be an issue until the actual until the money is actually in hand. Could you tell how much of that was just sort of openly um, nagging for money, and how much of it was a real complaint? Well, you know, look at the end of the day, good wishes and promises don't pay the light bill, and I think right. that for a lot of these communities that have been significantly hard hit, and on the stage yesterday were two that had gotten off, relatively speaking, a lot better than yeah. the other two. So Victoria and Port Lavaca had damage, had significant right. damage, right. but they were also basically holding it together. Rockport and Port Aransas got completely demolished. Demolished. Right. And they're having to really rebuild from the ground up at this point. And from their perspective, they're, you know, the Port Aransas schools just opened for the school year on Monday. Right. They were it was one of the last two school districts to open. Um, 90% of the businesses in Port Aransas suffered significant enough damage. And if you think about both Rockport and Port Aransas, tourism is their economic lifeline. Right. And if everything that was an attraction for tourism was destroyed or was significantly damaged, no tourism, no economic lifeline. So their whole perspective on this was not nagging. It was, we really need the money. We really need to, you know, we have housing problems. People have been dislocated. We have businesses that are shuttered. We we have these major, in the case of the Rockport mayor, he was talking about the five big tourist attractions in Rockport, three and a half of which were completely destroyed. Wow. And are unusable. And they're going to have to make a decision about whether to rebuild them and, if so, how they're going to find the money to do it. And, of course, right behind all of this is the fact that they paid for a lot of these um, uh, things that ultimately produced economic benefit to them with tax dollars. But the tax base has been decimated. Right. So it's a conundrum. So I don't think it's nagging. I think it's like literally we're dying here. It's not quite the mayor of San Juan. But I do think that yeah. the complaints are significant, right? Yeah. And right. and they're and they're concerned about whether the federal government ultimately ultimately comes through, whether they can cut through the red tape. Yeah. All right, we're just about out of time. We have one question that we left unanswered earlier in the conversation about the uh, the new Strauss appointed committee. Davis asks, is anyone in the Texas House openly opposed to Strauss's committee? This is the Committee on Economic Competitiveness that we talked about. How do you oppose economic competitiveness? <laughs> exactly. That's a hard thing to campaign <laughs> no. against. Well, one, one thing that is going to be interesting is, does the committee address economic incentives? Because that's kind of like sure, a tripwire in a Republican right, primary. Sure. Um, well, it gets back to the conversation yeah. around Amazon. Sure, yeah. Right. 
And by the way, Matt Shaheen coming back out after the film commission right. again. I Actually, mean, Matt, Matt Shaheen, after the formation of the committee on, on Twitter, had some some message voicing skepticism about what the real agenda of the committee is. But he didn't he didn't come out and you know openly oppose the, the committee, which I think would be hard to do politically. Right. <laughs> yeah. right. So, um, all right. Well, that's all the time we have. If you have uh, questions or comments, email them to tribcast at texastribune.org. Thanks to Shiny Ribs for our music. On behalf of Evan, Ross, Amon, and our producers, Todd and Bobby. This is Patrick. Thanks for listening. Texas talking. Texas talking. Texas talking. Texas talking. Amon, Amon brought notes. <laughs> Rookie. Printed out by Patrick.